Number 10, I know I had a lot to say there about attendance. I am glad that you're here this evening. I will, uh, I will say I have grown a little bit weary of um, whether keeping people out of church. I think uh, for the most part, people come if they're able. And I'm not against, especially, as I've mentioned, those that are elderly or of poor health uh, you know, if, if, if they were to get stranded some kind of accident or drive off the road or slide off the road in ice or snow or something of that nature, it's the last thing in the world that we would want. Um, and I understand as well, some people have, you know, stigmatisms and problems with their eyes. And if uh, during the fog uh, they get the wrong amount of light in their eyes, they would go nearly blind while they're driving. We don't want that kind of stuff uh, for those that are capable and able. Um, but if you are able to be at church, what does fire a preacher up is the excuses we make to stay out of church when we don't make those same excuses to go to work or to go to the grocery store or to go to our hobby or to go grab some coffee or whatever. We'll go and do all kinds of stuff, but the moment church springs up, eh, it's, it's kind of dangerous out there. So uh, I would encourage you to continue to stay faithful and be an encouragement to those that maybe have struggled with that, that are capable of it. And I will try to Leave it alone now. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, let's read the first three verses here. The Bible says in verse number one, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet with us this evening, Lord. If, if anything's going to be accomplished, it certainly won't be at my hands. It'll have to be by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would help us to, uh, Lord, to, to be yielded to your Holy Spirit and uh, to hear from your Word. And, and Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you, and I ask you, please, that you would guide and direct my thoughts and my speech, and, and help me, Lord, to say only the things that you would have me to say. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. You can be seated. There's not much more of a um, colorful picture painted in the Bible than this one. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So what in, what in the world does all of that mean? Well, in those days... Uh, if you had a little bit of money, you could afford to purchase a scented oil of some sort that would be used as a perfume or a cologne or, or whatever uh, you might call it. Um, we were watching a nature show with the family the other day, and um, some were disgusted by what uh, the... Uh, male elks were doing to make themselves smell so good for the females. Um, a certain aroma wafting from them that uh, was uh, uh, quite the picture of, uh, of their activity. Anyway, but, you know, some things smell good to some people and some things don't. You know, I cannot, I am, I am glad that we are not a bunch of elk running around being attracted by those types of smells. Uh, for the most part, you get... 
you get uh, good smells now out of a bottle of cologne or a bottle of perfume. Uh, about once every couple of years, I will ask for a new cologne uh, for Christmas or, or uh, birthday or something of that nature. It takes me about, about a couple of years to get through uh, a bottle of something. I don't use it every day, but I do use deodorant every day. And uh, yes, amen to that, right? So, uh, but in those days, they didn't have those types of things. They were not readily available. So um, what they would do is, is uh, in order to have a, a good smell, either in the house or even on, your, on yourself, they would mix with certain oils uh, certain herbs and spices and things of that nature that would make things smell uh, very good. Some of you maybe have gotten into some of these essential oils. My sister is a big essential oil person, or at least was for a long time. And there were like these two competing enemy factions in the, in the essential oil world. There was Young Living, and there was, what was the other one? Huh? doTERRA. And if you believed doTERRA was the best, you posted about it all over Facebook, and you told everybody why it was the purest and why it was the best. And if Young Living was the best, you posted about it, and you got in fights with everybody else about why doTERRA wasn't the best. And, and you know, But this kind of became a thing again, where they would use uh, uh, these, these scented essential oils. And some of them are useful. I actually still use one at times uh, to go to sleep with. If I'm having a hard time sleeping, my wife gets one. I don't remember which, uh, which, what exactly it's called, but it's some kind of a sleeping um, ointment that, that you can use. And, and I'll get a little on my finger and rub it under my nose like that and rub it on my temples and rub it on my feet. Um, and so, uh, I guess I didn't have to tell you that part. So, as I was saying it, I'm like, should I be saying this? But I guess it's not entirely appropriate, right? So... Uh, but anyway, uh, if you put it on certain contact points of the body, it's supposed to help you sleep. And it does. I don't know if putting it on the feet has ever helped, but when I put it under my nose and on my temples, uh, it does. It relaxes me. It helps me sleep a lot better. I don't remember what things are in that oil. Do you remember, honey? I don't know what's in it exactly. <laughs> what? Did somebody say pot? Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be. I haven't looked. Um, never know. Hey, hemp oil, you know, hey. Yeah, hey, you know, people don't actually know there were uses for hemp long before it became something that people would light on fire and inhale. Um, you know, I, I'm not against, I was actually on a panel at one point. I did a debate in a uh, junior college uh, with a judge, a police officer. Um, I think I was the only religious entity that was there. I can't, there were four or five of us on the panel. And essentially, the young people of the college were trying to prove why the state of Indiana should legalize marijuana in the state. Now, I understand that Missouri already has that stuff legalized, which bothers me greatly. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, they were debating whether or not it should be legalized uh, in, in, uh, in Indiana. And, you know, they, they, I can't remember all the questions. They gave us a, uh, a list of questions that we were supposed to answer in debate. And, and uh, one of them one of them led me to be able uh, to address the fact that hemp itself was at one point a useful plant uh, other than just, again, lighting it on fire and inhaling it. Uh, but people want to say, well, it should be legalized because uh, it is naturally grown. That's what the question was. If it is a natural substance, then doesn't that mean it was created by the Lord? And if it was created by the Lord, then, Pastor, doesn't that mean that we should be able to smoke it? So then I gave them a whole bunch of examples of what hemp c 
could be used for other than lighting on fire and inhaling. And used the example, uh, we don't use that argument for a lot of other things. For example, um, a car uses oil that is an organic material that is largely the broken down components of organic matter. Animals and things of that nature that we believe were buried under the earth uh, uh, during the flood uh, or as a result of the flood and broken down and turned into oil. And then we extract that oil. Now I believe oil is greatly used for cars, but I would highly recommend you not ingest it. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's for humans to use in that way. Um, and, and when I said that, the teacher got mad, which revealed very quickly that she was on the student's side in that case. And, uh, but anyway, we, um, we, 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 I don't know why I got on hemp. Oh, because of the essential oils, right. Um, you know, but, but you know, hemp, hemp, the plant itself was used to make rope. Uh, it was a very strong rope at one point. Um, uh, what else? There were a few other uses. Oh, the oils. The oils, the extractives from the plant itself were good for rashes and burns and, and cuts and things of that nature. It was good for healing. And so the plant itself could be used for good things. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, if you put a little bit in your, in your uh, sleep aid, then maybe it's all right. So um, I guess that's where that was all leading. But they would use these oils and things for uh, those purposes. It, it is possible uh, that that similar type of thing would have been used when uh, things like frankincense and myrrh were brought to the Lord at his birth. But what would also happen is if a fly or flies were attracted to that oil and that scent, that smell, and they got into that um, ointment. Apothecary is largely a, a, an old... Uh, English word that would have been used uh, in, in a way to describe an ointment or a oil of some sort, a scented oil. And so that's what is meant by the apothecary. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. When I did a little more research on this, I discovered that they said actually the flies in that region of the world would have been much more toxic than the flies that we have in, in some of the more um, civilized regions, if you will, but uh, much more poisonous flies. And when they got into an ointment and drowned and began to decay, then it would send forth a horrible, stinking smell. And so that is the concept that is spoken of here in this example that is given. Now, God gives us this picture to describe the second half of verse number one. Look at what the Bible says. So doth a little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. I want you to notice a couple of things about this verse that stick out to me. Notice that the Bible says a little folly. Once your reputation is built, it doesn't take much folly for your reputation to be tarnished. The word reputation itself comes from a word that means valuable, honorable, and precious. In other words, what people know about you is one of the most precious and valuable things that you have. A good name, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor 
rather than silver and gold. In other words, God is saying that what people know about you, if they favor you, if your name is a good name, that when somebody is in great need, they would rather have you than they would to have riches, than they would to have silver and gold. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, here's something that is interesting to note about our reputation. Reputation is largely what man knows about us, but God knows everything about us. Some people have said, and it has been quoted in many different circles, religious and otherwise, that reputation is what man knows about you. Character is what God knows about you. And that is true. God already knows all things about us. Therefore, our reputation is what man knows about us. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A good reputation is something that carries great value and should be guarded at all cost. There is not enough focus by some on what others think of them. Now, there's a balance to this. You cannot live your life worried about what other people think to the extent that it controls your behavior. Because the fear of man bringeth a snare. Right? We shouldn't fear men. What, what happens is, if people aren't careful, is they care so much what man thinks about them that they're not even able to think or function because they become anxious about what others think think. And that is not how God wanted us to live. But He does teach us that we should have a good reputation with men. God already knows who we are, so the instruction here is given for us in regards to how we appear to others. There does need to be a balance struck here. I have heard some say that uh, you really don't need to think or care at all what men think about you, and I believe that is not true. And I've heard others say that uh, you need to care all the time about what others think about you, and I think that is not true. I think the, the truth falls somewhere in the middle. There needs to be a balance of both. If God is pleased with you, then who in the world cares what man thinks about you? As long as you are right with God, it doesn't matter what man thinks. But at the same time, it is important for us to guard our reputation, or what others might call guard our testimony. And there are a few reasons for that. One of them God gives us in the book of Proverbs chapter number 22. Because you want to have a good name so that others would choose to allow you to influence them or would choose you in their lives. Listen, you want to have a good name with your family. You want your kids to love to hear your name, not be afraid of your name when they hear it. And there are some who have grown up in that type of a setting. When they say, dad's coming home, the kids run for cover is a bad thing. Well, I don't care what people think of me. Well, you should care what your family thinks of you. You should care what your kids think of you. If you want to have any influence with people, you need to have a good reputation. Can I say that your reputation controls your influence? 
If you have a poor reputation, you do not have very much influence. If you have a strong reputation, you have much greater influence. As a pastor, I want to be able to influence others for the Lord. And so it is vital for me to guard my reputation so that people will want to sit and listen to what I have to say. If I go out there and you all find out that I'm cussing and I'm drinking and I'm smoking, then you're going to have a hard time listening to me preach. But if I guard my reputation, then Lord willing, when I stand up to preach the Word of God, I will be able to have influence in the congregation because of my reputation. That's important for you to understand. We build our reputation at a very early age. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 20 and verse number 11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. As a young person, you begin to establish a reputation about yourself. Young people, listen, you, you, you think people aren't watching you, but, but you are being watched even as a child by people that are older than you. Did you know some of you kiddos can be a real blessing to older people in the church? You can be a real blessing. There, there are some kids that just everybody can't wait to see because they just are pleasant and kind and respectful. When I was, when I was younger, there was one guy that we were, well, he was our age. There was one kid that was our age that we were terrified of. Oliver Areza Jr. Some of you remember Brother Oliver Areza that was here before uh, Camp Calvary last year? How many of you remember him, the Hispanic preacher? Um, one of the great influences on my life. I, I love him. I can go back to multiple messages that he preached that, that, that affected and impacted my life. Um, well, his son is a friend of mine, um, but it took us a long time to get there. We were terrified of Oliver Areza when he was little. He was mean as a snake. They were from Texas, and he'd wear these cowboy boots. And he would just run up to you randomly for no reason at all and just kick you. Just wham! I mean, in the shin. Oh, no. We were terrified of, of little Oliver Areza. Um, one time, I don't remember why this happened, but we were all staying at the camp at Mount Salem. My, my dad and, and uh, Brother Areza and Brother Taylor uh, and, and maybe some others, I don't remember, were, were working to get the camp set up for the year. And um, us little kids would just run around the campground, you know, and go build forts and, and dig in the mud. And, I mean, we'd just go do whatever, you know, just about all day long, come home for food and go back out and, and hang out, you know. And, and so... Um, I don't know why, but little Oliver came out one day. He was a little guy at that time. That's why we called him little Oliver. He was smaller than all the rest of us, but he was scary. And he's the same age. But he got a hold of a bottle. And I don't remember what was in the bottle. We got a hold of a spray bottle. And he started telling us all it was poison and he was going to spray it on us. And we were running all around that campground trying to stay alive while little Oliver was trying to spray us with this spray. It was probably just water. To this day, I have no clue what was in that thing. But we were terrified of him. Even as a child, don't tell him I said that, um, a very respectable and reputable man today, all right? Um, I, can't remember, I can't remember now. I know he was a paramedic for quite some time and a rescue paramedic for quite some time, and I don't know, but, uh, but then uh, became very involved in his church and, and training young men in the ministry and, and a good man. But, you know, even a child is known by his doings. You young people, listen to me. Be a blessing to the adults. Be, be the kind of kid that the adults want to see running up to them. If you come running through the aisles in the hallways and you see the adults doing this, you probably don't have the best reputation. Um, 
and we all know there are some, maybe not in the church, uh, but there are some kids that are a blessing, and there are some kids that when their name comes up, people go, oh, yeah, that one. Be respectful, be kind. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You, you teenagers need to understand that your reputation is, is, is building right now. D.L. Moody said this, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of me. A good reputation can only be built by good personal character. You can put on a show for a little while and fool people, but eventually your character will come out. If you want to build a good reputation, build good personal character. Build character in your personal life. Uh, be the same person in public that you are in private. I watch people's actions for a while before making any decisions on their character. I was taught some years ago um, by, by uh, Dr. Keith Gomez to beware of people who he called a flash in the pan. He said, he said there are some people who have uh, a great personality and they get on fire in an instant when they hear a message, but... Only by time will you find out whether or not that was all just show or whether it was reality. Often people who are guided by their emotions will jump into things with both feet and then fizzle out quickly. And that's because feelings only last for a while. And if your feelings fade, then your actions will fade. It's good to make a decision for God, but I'm not always impressed by somebody who makes a big decision for God and then uh, they're weeping at the altar. And that's one. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with weeping at the altar. I weep at the altar as well. But they're weeping at the altar and they get up and, boy, they want to tell everybody about how on fire they are. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that either. But sh we're in the what state? But over time, you're going to have to show me by your actions that that decision was real. I don't care if you say you were called to the mission field. I don't care if you say you were called to preach. Show me by your actions whether or not you really mean that. Somebody will, will say, well, I'm getting right with God and I'm going to come to church. You know, uh, I'm going to start getting faithful at it. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad about that. But, um, and I think it's good to be accountable and to tell people about our decisions because it helps us hopefully keep them. But at the same time, don't be, in, don't be impressed by that person who... Um, comes and gets on fire fast unless they stay consistent with it. Talking about how fired up you are can be good, but what happens when your fire fizzles? Will you continue to show discipline and do it out of character? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't tell people this, but I watch for very specific things when I'm considering asking somebody to help in leadership in the church. The first time that you will have ever heard part of my list that I watch for. But to me, the first and most important thing is faithfulness to church and ministries. I've learned that somebody, when I tell them that I'm looking for faithfulness, 
in church and in soul winning and in activities of the ministry that they will often start doing that right away. And then I watched as one deacon uh, started coming to uh, as he started coming to all the soul winning meetings and started going out with us door to door and started coming to all the church functions and I thought he was serious about it and then when he got appointed deacon about a month later he stopped coming to all of it. And I realized he only did that to build his reputation so he could be chosen for a position. And next time deacon choices came around he was no longer allowed to be on that list because of me. If you're not going to be faithful to things of the Lord without being told to, then I have a hard time with that. You, you need to prove consistency and faithfulness through your reputation. Build your reputation and it will build your influence. But that comes by personal character. We can and should stay zealous about the things of God, but that can only be proven over time. If we have good personal character and discipline, it will manifest itself in our long-term actions. Listen, uh, young people especially, this is why it is so important to make marriage and dating decisions slowly. <laughs> there is a reason why so many um, Las Vegas weddings end up in divorce. You know, you can go get, you can go get married at uh, the Las Vegas chapels for whatever that, you know, the fee is. Um, a minimal fee, and you can walk in and people get married in those places like crazy when they go uh, to their wicked parties. And part of the reason is that they get stirred up emotionally towards each other or get into a drunken stupor and make a dumb momentary decision that was not based on their experience or their time spent with each other. And before they know it, it was all lust and none of reputation, and they didn't like what they found out. You cannot afford to marry somebody on a feeling or a whim very quickly because you thought they were attractive, but you didn't take the time to consider their reputation. Give them time to let the varnish wear off so you can see who they really are as a person. Then start thinking about making a decision about long-term relationships. Don't get stuck in a bad relationship because of high emotions and attraction that overtakes you before you have a chance to actually see who they are. This is why I like the, the, the concepts of courtship over dating. Now, I don't, I, don't get, I don't get caught up in the whole, do you call it courtship or dating thing? Some people are so religious about that that it's like, if you don't call it courtship, you're not right with God. And I disagree. I'll call it dating or courtship interchangeably. It doesn't really matter to me. But I think the principles should be that of, of what we would call maybe a more biblical courtship, which is that the parents should be involved because your parents can see things that you can't. Now, I don't believe in betrothal. Uh, I think I heard Tony Hudson say once that, um, um, you know, there was this thing going around about betrothal. And he said some, one, of these, one of these preachers got me at a restaurant once and came up to me and he said, because I guess uh, Brother Hudson had a son or a daughter, I'm not sure which, and, and said, hey, I, you know, I've got a son or a daughter, you've got a son or a daughter, let's, uh, you know, however that worked out, I assume they weren't, you know, anyway, uh, opposite gender, you know what I mean, and uh, said, uh, I think we ought to talk about this betrothal thing. He said, brother, I tell you what, I'd love to talk about the betrothal thing if you want to talk about the dowry. If you don't know what that is, go look it up, but uh, anyway, um, if you want to be, if you want to be uh, using one thing in the Bible, you better use both. So, um, 
You better be consistent with all of it. So anyway, but that would be what would be owed to the other family uh, for letting them get married, all right? So anyway, um, he said that conversation stopped pretty quickly. Um, we, we believe in a, in a courtship style of a dating principle. The parents should be involved. Your parents can see things that you can't see because you're all stirred up in your emotions and feelings and you, you, you get attracted to one another and you can't really see the reputation of the other person until you give it time to figure out. It's an important thing to do. Uh, but you need to keep people involved in the process, young people, that, that can see better than you can because your emotions are stirred up and you need to give it time. Give it time, because you need to know their reputation. Leadership decisions. If you're a boss at work or whatever the case may be, I would rather have somebody that has. Um, I'd rather have somebody that has good character and consistency than somebody who has a lot of talent but not a lot of character. Give me the person who can show up and do their job and learn, as opposed to somebody who has a lot of talent but you can't rely on them. Be careful about making quick decisions. Make sure somebody has time to prove their reputation. A, a good reputation can only be built by strong personal discipline and character. And it takes time for you to build that reputation. Friendships and acquaintances with the wrong people can eventually give you the same reputation that they have and cause you to fall into their same sins. You may live holy, but if the person you hang out with the most lives a worldly way, you will gain the same reputation. You must understand this. You can work so hard to guard your reputation and then have the wrong friendships and begin to take on the reputation of your friends whether or not you live the same way they do. Be careful who you hang around. You've heard it said, and let me repeat it again, you either are today or soon will be the books that you read, the shows that you watch, and the people that you hang around. I added, I added the shows that you watch part. It used to be the books that you read, but nobody reads books anymore. In Proverbs chapter 28, and verse number 7, the Bible says, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. In Psalm 119.63, the psalmist says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. Watch who you are a companion with. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Who you hang with will become who you are. Or it will certainly become what people think of you. A good reputation is necessary for the Lord's service. Let's turn our Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, would you please? 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And let's look at verse number 7. 
Speaking of the pastor, the Bible says, Moreover, he must have a good what? Report of them that are without. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The pastor should not only have a good reputation with the people that are in the church, but with the lost people that are outside of the church. I, I knew a man years ago that... Um, I, 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 it was a, a miracle type of a situation. Maybe I'll give that testimony one of these days how I got saved. But I was out door knocking and met this man and the Lord spared them and their family at the last second. And it was, uh, as he got saved that day, it was just an amazing story. But uh, sometime later as I was discipling him, he said, um, spending some time with him, he said, uh, he said, you're not quite like one of the other preachers that I first started going to church under. He said, he and I became friends and, and uh, he said, I always thought it was odd that he would want me to come over on Mondays. He said, he would take Mondays off just like you do. But when he would take Mondays off, he said, he would really let his, he would really let his, and he kind of stumbled with the words, let me just say he would let his hair down. I said, what do you, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he was just not the same person at church that he was at home. I said, explain. I had to really pry it out of him. He said, well, uh, he would do a lot of drinking on Mondays and just really get sauced and then we would hang out together. And then go back and stand in the pulpit and act like everything was A-OK. -okay. He was spending time with, a, at the time, a lost man who didn't know he was lost, going to church and uh, fancy this, um, relating very well to the pastor because he was a lost man. You ought to have a good re reputation within and without. Now, some people say that the requirements of 1 Timothy 3 are only for the pastor and that it doesn't apply to evangelists and missionaries and so on and so forth. And I understand where some people come from with that kind of stuff because it specifically names a bishop and then later on it names the deacons and so on. I understand that way of thinking. And I, I, I have preacher friends uh, who disagree with me sharply on this. They believe that a man who is an evangelist does not have to meet the qualifications of a pastor. And so if a man has any of these things wrong with his past or his reputation or his history, that he can step into the pulpit as an evangelist or as a missionary. Now, I, I, I will say this. I believe that whether you are pastoring a church or whether you are standing in the pulpit and preaching to a group of people, your reputation ought to be sound. Reputation ought to be sound. Now, God can, God can forgive of much, but there are some things that you can do to your reputation that you cannot come back from and you do not belong in a pulpit. Don't belong there. Can you preach the gospel to a lost and dying man who is on his way to hell? Absolutely. Should you stand in front of a crowd of people and deliver the Word of God to them with a reputation that is sullied by some of the major wickednesses of the earth? I don't think so. It's required of a pastor to serve the Lord, to have a good reputation within and without. It was said of the deacons in Acts chapter number 6. Of course, they fall into these lines of qualifications because it says likewise about them, and then they, the Lord adds things to them. But then in Acts chapter number 6, the Bible says that they were to find men of good, of honest and good report to be deacons. 
Now we have two amazing men that have honest and good report. The Lord gave us a couple of good men in that way. And we have other good men in our church that are of honest and good report. But what it's saying is they ought to have a good reputation. Your reputation matters in God's service. In Acts chapter number 16, the Bible says that one of the reasons why Paul chose Timothy was because of what was known of him. Matter of fact, let's look at it. Acts chapter number 16 and look at verse number 1. Acts chapter number 16 and look at verse number 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus or Timotheus, however you like to say it, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. It, he, he was well reported of by the brethren. He had a good reputation. The reason why Paul wanted to choose him was because he had a good reputation. The reason why he wanted to disciple him was because he had a good reputation. Listen, if you will take care of your character, your character will take care of your, your, your reputation. And if you will take care of your reputation, then those around you will watch, they will see, and God will open up doors for you to influence others. A young man who wants to be in the, in the ministry needs to behave wisely not be a companion of fools and, and of riotous people or of worldly people. He needs to live consistently in private and public. He needs to show himself to be serious about ministry by being involved in current ministry opportunities. Don't tell me you're called to preach and then don't, don't get involved in any ministry opportunities. It's not like some switch all of a sudden goes off and you just all of a sudden get a desire to go soul winning. If you say you're called to preach, go soul winning. Go, go witness to the lost. If you can't do it door to door, why in the world should I think that you should be able to stand and do it in front of a crowd of people? Show yourself to be serious about ministry by being involved in current ministry opportunities. Be faithful to church and church activities. Take preaching seriously by listening and responding to it. And if you get the opportunity to preach, study, walk with God, and prepare. And don't get up there and make a fool of yourself because it's clear that you didn't prepare for it. I didn't mean for that to be mean. It came out really, people were like, ooh. Um, we've all been there. I mean, you know, you... <laughs> oh, my soul. I... I I, I, I can remember some of the things that I preached on when I was younger, and it's embarrassing. We make a fool of ourselves even when we try to study. But at least put the effort in. Somebody can tell if you've put the effort in or if you've just stood up in pride and thought you would preach out of your own knowledge. If you've put the effort in and you still get something wrong, for the most part, people will be able to tell that. They'll also be able to tell if you haven't put the effort in. Reputation is built for all people in similar ways. Live with integrity. Live consistently in private and in public. Don't be a companion of fools and riotous people and sinners. Live righteously. Be fair in business. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be honest, loyal, be honorable. Pay your bills. Take care of your earthly things. Keep your word. Treat others respectfully. Take responsibility for your mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Take responsibility for them. You'll build your reputation faster that way than trying to act like you never make mistakes. We all do. I've even heard preachers stand up and say, I made a mistake and my respect for them grows when they admit it. 
I know a preacher not long ago. Matter of fact, I don't mind saying it because some of you may have seen it. Brother John Wilkerson, who is the pastor of uh, First Baptist Church there in Hammond, very different personality than some of the former preachers that they have had, and I believe maybe exactly what God needed to bring to them. Um, he's a very down-to-earth person. I've been around him on multiple occasions, easy to talk to. He treats you just like a human being. Um, he's not a big shot. He doesn't act like a big shot. He's a very kind and normal guy, but also somebody that God has lifted up to be a pastor of that church. And um, he had a group come in there that were creation scientists uh, for a service that they had. I don't know if it was a Wednesday night or if it was like a, an off-service night, a Monday or Tuesday or something or a Sunday night. I don't know when it was, but he had a group of people that came in there that I guess he just he trusted them. They were recommended to him or something. I don't know. And they came to the pulpit and, and gave their seminar. And while they were there, they didn't dress the way he was expecting. And some of their reputation came out afterwards. And people lit John Wilkerson up. How could he let the pulpit of First Baptist be filled with such wicked men? Lit him up. And I was watching. What's he going to do? And he came out and made a public statement online that he had made a mistake. He apologized for it. And inst instead, of, instead of jumping on the bandwagon of throwing John Wilkerson under the bus like everybody else was, I think it's wise to let a man prove himself. He made a mistake. We all do, right? He made a mistake. He came out. He, he, did, he did an entire online post about the mistake that he made, asked for people's forgiveness. He said, I should have researched them a little bit better. I trusted what I was told about them, but I didn't look into it enough myself, and I made a mistake. Would you please forgive me? His reputation in my eyes increased, not decreased. Take, per take responsibility for your mistakes. It'll increase your reputation. I don't go out and make mistakes and then be like, I just keep doing that. I'm sorry. You know, that's a different story. Get right with people that you offend with them. Work to be consistent so others know what to expect out of you. You want a good reputation? Try to be the kind of person that's consistent enough that people know what to expect out of you. If you're always controlled by your emotions and up and down all the time and people don't know what to expect out of you, you cannot build a good reputation. We all have emotions. It is a God-given thing. And in many cases, they are a very good thing. But in some cases, if we are controlled by them, we become somebody who is tossed all over the place in life and inconsistent, and as a result, unfortunately, you cannot be relied upon. Regardless of how you feel, do what's right, and people will be able to trust you. Be responsible and be dependable. The list can go on and on and on. The reality is, if you'll just live according to biblical principles, people will eventually see it and you will build a good reputation. I need to be done, but please don't forget maybe the most vital point of this entire passage. Could we look at it again in Ecclesiastes chapter number 10? Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. While a reputation takes time to build, it can be lost quickly. A little folly. Did you catch that? 
And that's unfortunate because for the most part, men are not nearly as gracious as God is and God can forgive and He lets us move on, but man is much less forgiving. Benjamin Franklin said it this way, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. As a result, don't you think we should live very carefully? Guard your reputation. A reputation that is tarnished can be rebuilt, but it takes time. Uh, Thomas Paine, uh, one of the founding forefathers of our nation, an atheist as well, I believe, so maybe not the greatest in some of those respects, but he made a good statement about this. He said, character is much easier kept than recovered. It's much easier kept than recovered. Abraham Lincoln put it this way, reputation is like fine china. I'll let you think on that one for a second. Once broken, it's very hard to repair. A reputation that is tarnished can be rebuilt, but it takes time. And can I just say this? There are some things God will forgive you for, but your reputation will be tarnished so much that it will disqualify you from certain things in God's work. So guard it. Guard it. Young people, you want to be able to influence people at school and witness to them and, and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to build a good reputation that will cause them to listen. Sunday school teacher, make sure you work on your reputation in the church. Those of you that maybe have hurt or harmed your reputation with your family members or your friends, it can be rebuilt. It starts by admitting your wrongs and getting right with those you have offended and then just start living better. And little by little, those things can be restored, but only by consistency. The moment you start trying to restore and you break it again, you lose that trust all over again and it becomes that much harder to get back. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. I know good church people and good preachers that spend a lifetime trying to build a reputation and in an instant, in the eyes of everybody around them, it was all undone. Your actions do change things and sometimes it can be brought back and sometimes it can't. Guard your testimony. Guard your reputation. One other thought comes to mind and I need to, I need to close. This was earlier in my notes, but one of the commentators on this passage said this. I think it was Matthew Poole. And I, I, I'm not going to be able to find the quote here, I don't think, so I'll just have to try to paraphrase it. But he said it this way. One of the reasons why um, somebody who is wise and makes a foolish decision, let me read this again, um, who has a little folly, 
when he has a good reputation for wisdom and honor. One of the reasons why it only takes a little folly is one, we addressed this, because uh, men are always looking for reasons to be judgmental. But two, because when you live wisely and with honor, a little folly is in such different and great contrast to your normal way of life that people will take notice. And that's something to very seriously consider. When you work so hard to build a reputation, unfortunately, one of the byproducts of that is that because your life is honorable and reputable, little mistakes stick out more. Does that make sense? And so we have to be even more cautious the more of a reputation that we get. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to be cautious about these things concerning our reputation and our testimony. Help us to understand how easily it can be lost and how very quickly with one sometimes simple moment of folly that a good reputation can be soiled and lost. Lord, help us please to consciously make an effort to guard our reputation. With heads bowed and eyes closed,